Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. If this message impacts you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us. We hope you enjoy this message. Fantastic. Uh, I'm going to get straight into some text today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Luke chapter 19, or if you're on your phones, flip to uh, your Bible app, Luke chapter 19. I'm going to be speaking from the Passion Translation for the particular passage that I'm going to read to you today. The Passion Translation just uses the right words in this space here. Luke chapter 19, we are in the series that we have called The Value of One. Uh, For those who were here last week and heard Alicia's message, it was simply a grade outstanding message. Yeah, a simply A-grade outstanding message. And if you weren't, didn't happen to be here because you were travelling or your car broke down or something or other, because I know you wouldn't be sleeping in, uh, you can check it out online on our YouTube channel. I encourage you to do it. Go back and uh, just listen to that again. Listen to some of the points. Listen to what is in that because there was an anointed message in that one. Luke chapter 19, it'll be up on the screens as well, thanks. In the city of Jericho, there lived a very wealthy man named Zacchaeus, who was the supervisor over all the tax collectors. As Jesus made his way through the city, Zacchaeus was eager to see Jesus. Some translations use the word determined. Zacchaeus was eager, determined to see Jesus. He kept trying to get a look at him, but the crowd around Jesus was massive. Zacchaeus was a very short man. Nothing wrong with that, but Zacchaeus was a very short man. And he couldn't see over the heads of the people. So he ran on ahead of everyone else and he climbed up a blossoming fig or sycamore tree so he could get a glimpse of Jesus as he passed by. I don't want to get distracted after just four verses. But let me pose this thought. Are we as a community eager to run to Jesus or have we become a crowd busy lining the streets? Verse 5, when Jesus got to that place, he looked up into the tree and said, Zacchaeus, hurry on down from I am appointed to stay at your house today. So he scurried down the tree and came face to face with Jesus. As Jesus left to go with Zacchaeus, many in the crowd complained, look at this, of all the people to have dinner with, he's going to eat in the house of a crook, or as some translations say, in the house of a sinner. Next verse, Zacchaeus joyously welcomed Jesus and was amazed over his gracious visit to his home. Zacchaeus stood in front of the Lord and said, Half of all that I own I will give to the poor, and Lord, if I have cheated anyone, I promise to pay back four times as much as I stole. Jesus said to him, This shows that today life has come to you and your household, for you are a true son of Abraham. The son of man has come to seek out and to give life to those who are lost. I just shared a moment ago that we are unapologetic about sharing our finances and we are unapologetic about talking about our vision and future of what we're doing. There's a beautiful piece of scripture 
where, where God speaks to the prophet uh, Habakkuk and he says to him this. He says, write this. Write what you see. Write it out in big, bold letters so that it can be read on the run. And then he says this, declare it. That's what we've done this morning. That's what we're doing during this series. We've got a vision. We've got a future. We're declaring it. We're declaring it out there. Why it says? Because when you declare it, the vision is the witness pointing to what's coming next. These are the words of God. He says, declare it because that is the witness to what is coming next. You may think to yourself, what does the story of a small, rich, deceitful and despised tax collector climbing a tree have to do with a vision for our church? We're not planting fig trees. We're not planting sycamore trees. But what we're doing is the answer is found in understanding that Jesus, the Son of God, saw past popularity, he saw past the crowds lining the streets and he found a man who was eager and determined to climb a tree and Jesus said to him, no matter your past, your desire to reach me, your desire to repent means that your sins have been forgiven. I've titled this message, The Reward is in the Climb. The reward is in the climb. And Vision Builders has and always will be about transforming lives. It is about creating a future for our church, our culture, our children and our community. It's about recognising the sacrifices that have been given to us and then replicating that generosity. It is about bringing light where there is darkness. It is about bringing hope where there is despair. It is about helping people experience the love of God in their lives and helping people climb a tree in order that they may find Jesus. As a boy growing up in the country... I climbed trees, any tree. On more than one occasion, my mum found me at our next door neighbour's house, who happened to have four girls in their gigantic tree in their backyard. K I double S I N G. (laughs) The bigger the tree, the better. The more branches, the better. The harder to climb, the better. But there was this one particular tree. And on my new yellow BMX bike, it took me 20 minutes to get there, or 25 if I was dinking my mate. This tree was down by the river. And we're a clever lot in country Victoria. It was called the river tree. (laughs) This tree had a perfect branch on it. This branch was about 20 foot 
above the river. It protruded out into the deepest part of the river. This branch was a perfect one for shimmying across, if anyone's ever shimmied across a branch. But the best thing about this tree is that right on the end of this branch had a rope swing. The test was that in this tree, it was an absolute monster to climb. The first branch was an absolute doozy to be able to get to. And between one and two, took a bit of courage. The reward was the freedom to swing on this rope above the water. And as you went backwards and forwards, I truly believe it was a time when you were in heaven. And there is no doubt that as you swung backwards and forwards as a young seven or eight or nine or ten-year-old kid or whatever I was, you would get to the highest point, which must have been what seemed 300 feet in the air, I'm sure. But as you got to the highest point, you would let go of the rope, put yourself into a little ball and do the biggest bomb you could do right into the middle of the river. The challenge was that this tree was the most popular tree in the, in, in the area we lived in. Every kid knew about this tree. So some days the line up to the tree was 15 people long. And when it's a hot summer's day and you're, and you're a 10-year-old kid, shirts off, no sunscreen because we didn't do that then, no one wanted to wait. And to make matters worse, if you weren't a popular kid, or if you're too small, or if your shape was a little bit different, you didn't get anywhere close to the front of the line. Zacchaeus was small, but this wasn't his biggest problem. He was also of Jewish descent, and he was employed by the Roman government to actually tax his own people. And it's kind of not what we do now where we enter something online and you have a bit of a yelling match because you don't want to hand over any money. But what would happen there is that the, the tax collectors would knock on the door, your taxes please, whether they did it weekly or daily or, or monthly, I don't know. And they would take from the Jewish people what was owed to the Roman government which they despised anyway because the Romans didn't treat them really well. So they're giving money to a regime that was treating them poorly anyway. But then what the tax collectors would do, they knock on the door. I'll have my 100 denarii for them and 50 for me. It was common practice. So no wonder the tax collectors were despised. And, and Zacchaeus was actually the chief of the tax collectors. Not much sticking up for him at all because he was deceitful in what he does. We read that later in the passage. But you can kind of sympathise with a crowd when Jesus is coming into town, into the place of Jericho, 
I'm not sure how many times he went there. Some of our scholars would be able to tell us. But Jesus is coming in. There was a whispering. He was at the peak of his popularity. There would have been a whispering around in the markets that morning. Jesus is coming to town. Jesus is coming to town. Let's line the streets. I can just imagine it. One main street through Jericho. I don't know if there is, but I'm just imagining it. Go with me here, crowd. The one main street through Jericho. Jesus is coming. There would have been a spotter. I reckon there would have been kids running out 10 k's ahead going, he's coming, he's coming. And there would have been those who got there early and they had their, their picnic blankets waiting and their, their lunch there. And they've lined the streets. It says they lined the streets because Jesus was coming into town. The crowd was lining the streets. And as he started to come through the, you know, he said, welcome to Jericho type sign there, population, whatever it was. They're kind of cheering, going, yay, here's Jesus. And I'm just imagining he was like, they were like 10 or 15 deep, the crowd. Kind of like the rope swing. You know those crowds? You've seen them, Macy's parades in New York, where the crowds are 10 or 15 deep. And here's Zacchaeus, he's small. He can't see over the heads, it says that, of the other people. So not only is he standing at the back of the queue, but he's kind of looking and all he sees is Stu's head in front of him. Actually, he probably sees Stu's back in front of him. Actually, probably, anyway, we'll keep going. (laughs) But Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus. Yet we read that he was eager and determined to see Jesus. But the crowd have got their backs to him. Because they're looking for Jesus here. As was the case with the river tree. Sometimes the crowd can be really unforgiving. You see, I'm thinking to myself, if that was someone popular who just happened to be late, but they were one of the crowd then they kind of would have come up to the back of the 10 and people would have just let them in, right? Because we're nice. Yeah, yeah, Janet's small, but she's one of the crowd. So we'll just let her up to the front because we know she wants to see Jesus. But that didn't happen with Zacchaeus. I can just imagine him sort of seeing the crowd here and, hello, it's me. Hello. No one acknowledged him. Maybe a little pushed on somebody to get past. Nothing. And he kept going. The same was at the river tree. The crowd can be really unforgiving. I am sure that there were kids that went home from a day at the river tree and they cried. They cried because they were pushed to the back of the crowd. They cried because they weren't popular. They cried because maybe they were small or the wrong body shape or whatever. And if we are not careful, the church can become like the crowd standing in front of Zacchaeus where we stop reaching out for people. Erwin McManus says this, if we want to reach people in our time on earth, we need to be searching for the people that no one is searching for. Nobody was searching for Zacchaeus. In fact, everybody was probably avoiding him. He was despised, right? He had done wrong. So why should we? He'd hurt them. 
as I meditated on this passage and what it meant for our church, I reflected on what it must have been going through the mind of Zacchaeus as he climbed that tree. Firstly, he was a very wealthy man. He would have been in the finest of thobes. He would have had his little sandals on, his little short legs as he ran along. And he would have got to this tree that says it was in front of the crowd. But I want you to put aside your own judgment of what he had done. And just for a moment, put yourself in his sandals. As he climbed that tree, desperate to meet Jesus. It says he was desperate, eager, determined to meet Jesus. He must have known as he climbed that tree that this was going to cost him financially big time. Think about it. He's about to meet Jesus. His life is about to change. And without Jesus prompting him, he says, I will repay back all of those that I have deceived, the crowd, four to five times what I've taken from them. So as he climbed the tree, he must have been thinking to himself, if only I see Jesus, I'm eager and determined, but in the back of the mind going, man, this is a bad financial move. Because this is going to cost me four to five times. Why? Because when you meet Jesus, Jesus changes your life. It's just a giveaway, guys. It happens. When you meet Jesus in your life, I am telling you, he will change your life. Generosity is in a different way we see things. Pride is in a different way we see things. When you meet Jesus, he will change your life. So for Zacchaeus, when he was climbing the tree, he must have understood in his mind that this is going to financially cost him big time. You know, I believe that the seeds had been already sown. And for Zacchaeus, the reward was in the climb. Jesus could have stopped him on the road in front of the crowd. He was popular. He could have whipped them into a frenzy. He could have uh, looked for the worship director. Johnny, just put on some great worship music for us. I've got a crowd. They're waiting for me. I'm going to preach one of those messages that is going to turn this place on its head. But what does Jesus do? And there's a time and place for that. There's a time and a place where the seed needs to be sown. I am passionate about seeing every seat filled. Not because I want to stand here. I nearly vomit when I'm on the side of the stage. That's just truth. But I want every seat filled because this is where the seed of God is sown. Connect groups is where they're watered. And Jesus could have whipped the crowd up into a frenzy. But what he did is he kept walking. And he looked past the crowd and he saw the one in the tree. He looked up and he saw the one that everybody else hadn't seen. Nobody saw Zacchaeus because nobody was looking for him. Yet when Jesus stopped, when he got to him, he called out his name. And then he risked his own reputation by dining with the same one that everybody else despised. Thanks, Johnny. I'll get the guys. Back at the river tree. There was a kid called Colin Nixon. Colin was bigger than anybody else. 
He was tough. He was probably 12. And when you're 9 or 10, 12-year-olds are big. And they're tough. I even think, looking back on it, Colin had started to grow some facial hair. But see, under this tough exterior of Colin, there was a softness to him. You see, Colin saw the kids that nobody else saw. And on those hot days, with 15 people lined up, waiting to get up the river tree, for the reward of jumping into the river. Colin would often get out of the line because he knew his spot was safe. He would walk to the back of the line and he'd grab some scruffy-headed kid and he'd drag him and he'd put him in front of him. You see, Colin saw the kids that nobody else looked for. I believe that the church needs to be a movement of people that fights for everybody. No matter what they believe. That doesn't mean we take up every cause. But it does mean that we fight for every human heart. We need to start grabbing the people that no one else sees in order that they may see Jesus. The reason I titled this message, Reward is in the Climb, it's because one of the challenges around vision builders and those five people I've asked can head to the side. The reason I titled this message a reward is in the climb is because one of the challenges around vision builders is that we don't even line up to climb the tree. And I believe there's four reasons why. The first is this. We think what we give is so small that it won't matter. The second is, we think that we're such a bad sinner that we can't possibly pledge. The third is that we've been burnt before giving. And so we don't line up at the tree because we don't trust those in front of us. And the fourth is this, and I believe it is the biggest lie of the enemy. We don't lie up to give because we base our decisions on where we are now, not believing in faith that God can move mountains. And there will be many here today who are in a financial pickle. And so we look at giving where we are right now. So God, I'll get back to you in six months time when I've sorted stuff out. God says, no, sow a seed now in order that I can reap a harvest later. As a kid standing in the blistering sun, waiting your turn to climb the tree, the thought went through your head so many times, is it worth the reward to climb the tree? I mean, I could have just gone to the edge of the river and jumped in off the edge of the river, right? I still would have had fun. But there was something about imagining that feeling of going backwards and forwards on the rope swing. And as a church, as a pastor, 
I spend half my time seeing people going up and back and I see what is so much in, in front of them. We are blessed with so many people in this room who've got talents and gifts and abilities that God has given to you. One of the first things that came to Marola and I is that we wanted to empower, encourage and equip people and then release them into what God's got for them. Help them up the tree so that they can have their moment on the rope swing. If Zacchaeus had accounted the cost of what it would have been to climb that tree, knowing that he was going to pay back four or five times to every person that he had deceived, I don't reckon he ever would have lined up. But there was something inside of him that he knew he was sowing into something so much bigger than the cost of waiting. Last year, as part of our vision builders, we served a community, nine different projects, where we saw hundreds of people from this church help others. But it wasn't just a weekend. Over the last 12 months, we've had the absolute privilege to partner alongside young teenage mums who are struggling. We've had the opportunity to have continual conversation with guys who are unchurched down at a campsite that were doing it tough after floods and fires. And earlier this year, we got the opportunity to baptise a young boy who's part of the Pathways Launch Project that we met when we went into their house to give it a bit of a spruce up. With the generosity of what we saw in our vision builders last year, we invested into Academy Leadership Program, helping our youth. Only two Friday nights ago, a young 13-year-old girl from this church got up and gave an offering message And later that night, four of our youth stood on an altar saying, Jesus, fill me more. And on March 15th this year, we opened the doors to C3 Huon Valley where we have seen men and women just like Zacchaeus running ahead of the crowd and they're climbing trees. If you haven't been there, get yourself down there because there's a hunger. They're eager. They're determined to see Jesus. And maybe the crowd's been standing in front of them for so long, but they're climbing trees. And in four weeks' time, we're taking our baptism pool from here. We're taking it down to the valley and we're baptising a young man down there. Which brings me to the future. Our vision is premised on the fact that every person matters. That as a church, we are committed to walk the journey alongside people, no matter where they are at on their faith journey. To reach our neighbours, to reach our family, to reach our work colleagues, to be prepared to share our faith journey with them. 
to create a place within the church community where people understand the value of the church because it represents the value of people. As pastors, Morella and I are honoured to lead a team that is committed to do anything short of sin to see people come to know Jesus. We are privileged to have a culture in our church of being generous with those we meet, being prepared to give away our best jackets and put on the best feast. Before a pledge is even written this week, we want to say thank you for partnering in that vision with us. That means sacrificing finances, means sacrificing time in the understanding that the value of even one life is priceless. I shared with our team that the things that we've got up there, we're going to step in faith and do them if not one dollar comes in. Because we believe in the value of one. I'm going to finish with what I've titled the future. And this is a future of what Morella and I see for this church. But before I do, I'm going to ask people to stay seated where you are. But just before I do that, because I'm going to close with what I see as the future. I do believe that there is two types of people this morning. Where God may have been speaking to you in different ways. For some, you might feel like you're Zacchaeus. where your life has been painful and doing things and you feel like you can't even get part of the church crowd. You can't break in. And as I represent the church, I say sorry for that. But we've got a Heavenly Father who's looking for you and we've got a church community here that is opening ways in order that we can get through. And I also believe that there is another type where maybe we've been part of the crowd. And it's okay because we've got our spot on the side of the road. We're third deep. We can see Jesus. But we haven't turned around too much looking for others. I'm going to read out what I see as the future for this church. But I want to encourage you just where you are as I read this and then the guys are going to go straight into a song. That if that is you, if you're feeling like you're Zacchaeus and you are just eager and determined to see Jesus, then I'm going to encourage you as I read out this future thing, it's going to be about three minutes, I'm going to encourage you to put up your hand. Someone from our pastoral care team will see it. Or maybe if the other one is that you've been standing in a crowd and your heart's desire is to spin your head around and make a way for others, then I want you to put up your hand as well. Our pastoral care team will see it because they would love to pray with you after this service. I'm going to share this with you, the future. What if I told you of a vision of what a church could be? Not just a description, but a direction. A vision that is not framed in the limits of standing behind a crowd, but a congregation that is prepared to clear a pathway in order that people can find Jesus. 
A church that recognises that by its very essence that we have a purpose and we celebrate that we are part of His plan and His future. What if I told you of a church that is built on the foundations of being Jesus-centred, Spirit-led, a ferocious faith and a belief that in Him all things are possible. A church that is multifaceted, multi-generational and multi-ethnic and is prepared to go into the laneways and the byways knowing that we are strengthened by our diversity and embraced by our authenticity. What if I told you of a church that has a passion to empower young men and women, equipping and ultimately releasing them into being kingdom ambassadors, whatever God may call them to do, encouraging leaders that aren't afraid to clear the crowd in order that others might find Jesus, a church that celebrates as people step up and step out in the Aussie terms, give it a go, a church that has a culture that is innovative and at the same time embraces the never changing Word of God. What if I told you of a church that has a passion to take ground by establishing a base in communities where we can break open strongholds, bring forth worship, embrace fellowship, be a city on a hill, a light in the dark, a church that eagerly engages in the presence of God, a church that has a voice that makes a way in the crowd and breaks down cultural stigmas, a church that has a direction that celebrates its past and steps with a bold faith into the future, a future filled with a vision of an expansion of campuses and services right across the week, right across our city. What if I told you of a church that its very core embraces the principles that Jesus came with, not to be served, but to serve others. A church that dares to dream and in practice is committed to seeing others thrive. A church that dares to dream, a church whereby its trademark is to be aggressive, but not arrogant, honoured, yet humble passionate about purpose and by its very nature irrationally generous in both our time and finances. A church that is prepared to serve others with a mindset that it will bridge divides and pioneer cultural norms. What if I told you of the vision of a church that its very fabric is being committed to reaching the one. A church that is committed to those who are despised by the crowd. A church that doesn't mutter about the lost one, instead speaks life over everyone. A church where worship is passionate and respect where the sound of wonder resonates alongside the sound of heaven, where the culture of prayer is unmistakable and the voices of many tongues fills the room. A church that is prepared to attempt great things for God and will do anything short of sin in order to awaken people to the reality of Jesus and in the process desire to reach and make disciples in every nation on this earth. A church that is audacious in our faith, that is sacrificial in our giving and with a heart that is ready and prepared to surrender all. What if I told you, C3 Hobart, that that church is us? Thank you for listening to C3 Hobart Online. If this message has impacted you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us at c3hobart.org.au.